Hey, welcome to episode 43 of Shit We Don't Talk About, powered by Helix Interactive. My guest is Julie Flygar, founder of Project Sleep, and our topics are narcolepsy, which we've heard of but don't really understand, and cataplexy, something that many of us have never heard of, both of which definitely fall under the category of shit we don't talk about. Tune in. It gets good. Here we go. Hi, Julie. Hi, Mia. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk with you. Yes, because this topic, let me tell you something. This is, if you looked up shit we don't talk about in the dictionary, it would be narcolepsy. I would put it high on the list. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. It's so misunderstood. And as I said, when we were getting ready to hit record button, this is a safe space for you to also let us know just stuff that people misunderstand, stuff that you wish people would stop saying about narcolepsy. We're going to dive into all of that today. Okay. Thank you. And I told you before I hit record also that swearing is okay and encouraged and we're going to warm you up for that too. Yeah. So this is like therapy. I love it. Let her rip. So um, tell me about your experience, because I know you have some organi- organization that you've started. You started World Narcolepsy Day. So you just dove in based on your own experience. Uh, yeah. So I was 24 years old, which was a long time ago now, uh, 14 years ago. I was in law school, my first year of law school, ready to just take on the world to become a lawyer. My dad was a lawyer, so I was following in his footsteps. And Um, I found that I was having a lot of trouble getting through the coursework of law school. Like it was just, it's just kind of like, maybe I'm not meant for law school. That's the way I felt. Um, I just couldn't, I I could read the same case three times and not quite remember what I'd read. Um, And so I really just thought I'd lost like my willpower. I wasn't really sure where my willpower had gone, (laughs) but it, it just didn't feel like me. And it took a while for me to actually realize that maybe I actually had a sleep problem. Um, And that was at the end of my first year of law school. I drove 15 minutes to school in the morning. It was just a really quick drive. And I remember towards the end of the drive, like the last few minutes, I felt really tired. But then I got to law school and I woke up in the parking lot of law school. My car was parked. My seat was reclined. I was totally fine, but I didn't remember getting there. Wow. And, um, that was really the first time that I thought, oh, there's no more excuses. Who can't drive 15 minutes in the morning after getting a full night's sleep? Um, you know, before that I'd probably gone five years at that point, making excuses, um, thinking I'm not a morning person. I'm not a night person. I've had not enough caffeine. I've had too much caffeine. I just had like convinced myself of all these different things, or I'd lost my willpower somehow. Um, And that was really the first time I thought maybe I had like a sleep problem. Um, Wow. You must've felt so isolated too. It was, it's weird because it just doesn't feel like it was actually a part of my life. It was like, I shoved it out. I just shoved it. I just like tried to repress it away. And uh, so it didn't, it just didn't feel like it was really part of my life. And I didn't know what it was going to be quite yet. Um, but I thought to go to a primary care doctor at least. Uh, and so I went to a primary care doctor after exams were over and said, I think I have a sleep disorder. I didn't really know that much about sleep disorders, um, which is a problem in our culture. (laughs) And I, um, she asked me like, 
more about my sleepiness. And I said, I was having trouble driving and doing my schoolwork at night. And she said, um, well, we all get sleepy sometimes. Even she has to pull over to get a coffee at times when she's driving. Wow. And I didn't really know how to like compare my sleepiness to her. Like, it's not like a measurement that you can measure. So like, sure. She says like, maybe this is normal. There was like the smallest voice in me that thought like, I don't think we're talking about the same thing, but I don't know. Um, so she wanted to check my thyroid and like, you know, my, um, iron levels and stuff like that. Um, and thankfully, I mean, I guess, um, I had a second issue, which was my knees were buckling when I laughed. It was a very strange sensation. It had started when I was before law school at, at age 21. Uh, but it had, ha- it was happening more and more where when I was laughing at jokes, it felt like someone had poked behind my knees sort of, and like, right. just kind of stumble. Um, and that sensation had been strange. I'd asked lots of people. I'd asked friends in med school. I'd asked Google. Um, I'd ask everything. I couldn't figure it out. And so um, I mentioned that as well. And the doctor said, well, maybe you could go to a neurologist, but you might just have to get used to it. Um, wow. And, and that's all you got, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was really tough. Wow. Um, and then I guess just luckily I had a third problem, which was runner's knee because I was a big runner. And went to a sports therapist at Boston College um, where I was in school. And the sports therapist, like we were talking about my knees for my running injury, but I just happened to mention this other thing that happened when I was laughing, my knees buckling, didn't have to do with my running, but she thought she'd heard of that. And she wrote the word cataplexy down. And so I went home and I looked up the word cataplexy and found out it was this muscle weakness with emotions only found in people with narcolepsy. And then I was like, narcolepsy, I don't have that. That's like a joke about someone falling asleep when they're standing or in the middle of a conversation, like that's not me. Um, but then I, you know, read more about real narcolepsy as opposed to, I guess what I perceived it to be from movies probably and, um, realized excessive daytime sleepiness. Oh, oh my God. Like the sleepiness I've been feeling. So really quickly put it all together, that that's probably what I had. And with the muscle weakness with emotion. So it was really strange to realize like, this word narcolepsy that I thought I knew what that meant, I guess, sort of that it was right. a joke, but it was actually really happening. It had been happening to me for years and wasn't a joke at all. I think medical gaslighting, we talk about that a lot on the show here of, and it sounds like that's what you experienced as well of, no, it's not really that big of a problem. That doctor literally even made it personal of a comparison thing, like you said, and then to, not be heard at all. What a relief though, to finally understand it. I, I can just imagine that light bulb moment of like, yes, with the sleepiness. And I did, uh, I had not heard of cataplexy at all before I agreed, we agreed to, to do this interview. And so that was very interesting to see as well, that it's the strong emotions. And I'm going to put a link into the notes of your interview with Layla Sarper as well, which is how I found out about you. She was talking about her experience with cataplexy as well as being part of uh, goes along with narcolepsy at times. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a major symptom and, and no one's really aware of it. Um, although I think that's where the misperceptions in movies might come from, because when I do experience cataplexy, I could be in the middle of a conversation. <clears throat> I could be joking with friends mm-hmm. and at its worst, it's more than a knee buckling. It can actually, I can completely collapse to the ground. Um, I might look asleep, but I'm not, I'm conscious in a body that's all the voluntary muscles are paralyzed. So 
Um, my eyelids close because that's muscle tone or it's muscles. Um, your jaw weakens because that's muscle. Everything is like really just, it's just Those drops. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so that can be 30 seconds to a minute. And yeah, I, I see the thing is when you see it in a movie, it looks like it's to comedic effect, but it's, it, if you saw it in person, you wouldn't laugh. You'd be like, oh my God, what just happened? It's more like seeing a seizure or something. It's uncomfortable to see. Um, Cause it can kind of be jerky and, and weird. And so it's um it's really, really strange to watch now to like watch films that portray some sort of weird mixture of sleepiness and cataplexy sort of like <laughs> some weird version they've created in Hollywood um, and, and, and see it continue to be to comedic effect. It's really hard. <laughs> oh, I bet. And you're, that's exactly what it is for comedic effect, just to use a word that they think makes them seem relevant, that they can throw that in there, but it's completely misunderstood. And I heard you mention in the other interview that Disney had done a series and you were disappointed because they kind of got that wrong too, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Disney just put out a new series called the Mysterious Benedict Society, and it's based on a really popular uh young teen book series, I guess it is after probably you're in my time, <laughs> but people in their twenties, it was like a thing when they were like 10 to 15 years old. Um, and so it, it's a really cute series. It's so it's kind of reminds you of like a role doll kind of, mm -hmm. you know, feel. Um, but the main character does have uh, narcolepsy and in the TV show, they, yeah, they, they go to, the point of actually saying I have, he says, I have type one narcolepsy with cataplexy, which is the very technical version of, of my diagnosis. <laughs> I wouldn't even say it to you on a podcast. It's not that important, you know, to say the whole, but why did he say that scientific term? And then he, the symptom he displays is this weird mixture of, you know, uh, it's an emotion. So he's laughing, but then he falls asleep um, and makes it clear that when he wakes up, he didn't know what was happening. Um, which is very different from cataplexy. I know it's happening around me the whole time. I'm just paralyzed. It's totally terrifying. Um, wow. And so to mix those two symptoms up into one is, is, is bizarre. And I guess the book did the same thing. So he, the, the movie, follow, or, sorry, the, the TV show on Disney followed the um, book closely. The book also had the error. Um, I, I think, I don't know if they could have... Um, fixed it, it completely and kept some of the same storyline. I think they probably could have. Um, it would have been hard, though, because the book kind of uses it as a strange um, character development thing. I don't know. It's hard to sure. explain, but it's no, weird. <laughs> it makes sense because I, I was looking it up as well. And, and talk to me about this, too. Again, I know you're you're talking about your lived experience. And I love with Project Sleep. And I want to speak about that as well, because that's, you know, that that's you couldn't find any a lot of support. So you just learned how to create it, right? Yeah. Get, get the community together. Talk to me about just throw, throw out some of the, the main things that people don't understand. I know there's type one, type two. I looked up idiopathic hypersomnia. Yep. Yep. I had so to that, pronounce that a few times. Yeah, yeah that was great. Um, those are the three uh, conditions that are sort of on a spectrum of hypersomnia, you know, uh, that within the sleep world, uh, if people are overly sleepy. <laughs> so those are the three main diagnoses. And um, it's it's interesting even to have those three distinctions and people feel like, you know, those distinctions sort of 
matter. And then sometimes people get switched between the diagnoses. So it's kind of a confusing situation, but those are the three current diagnoses um, in our community of people that are overly sleepy. <laughs> gotcha. Um, and that's, yeah. that is, that's the main, the main piece that people yeah. know about, but not because it is, uh, feels, it feels subtle. It feels invisible. I know it's, it's neurological, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I think that like many things, it's that invisibility that makes it easy for me at the time to kind of repress out of my life um, as much as I could, because it wasn't storyline I wanted <laughs> um, to be in my life as a young law student. But then once I did, once I couldn't ignore anymore, excuse it away, then to bring it to medical professionals, um, they can't see it either. And I think a lot of the terms that we use are, can be confused for things like depression or, um, you know, other things when you say you're tired all the time, like that's some of the same language maybe that someone would use if they are experiencing depression. Um, so I think we just need to be more, uh, if, if, you know, there's a lot for doctors to, to look at, but having sleep on their mind and asking about sleep and thinking more quickly about, um, sending people to sleep specialists. Cause that's actually a thing. Um, I know one of my friends with narcolepsy, she said that she thought she was great at sleeping. She's like, I don't need to go to a sleep doctor. That's for people that can't sleep like insomnia. You know, I'm really good at sleeping. Why would I go to a sleep doctor? Um, because she, <laughs> even though her sleep was fragmented at night and not like she wasn't getting the right forms of sleep, she didn't like realize it. So it's kind of interesting. So a lot of people don't even know that sleep doctors exist. Um, but that's mm -hmm. a real specialty that, um, anyone that's either having issues with insomnia, um, or, um, feeling too sleepy, which could be a sign of sleep apnea as well, which is a really yes. nice. Yeah, it is. And my mom has sleep apnea and it's, it's been interesting for her to even go through the diagnosis and then get the machinery. And it has been a process. You almost need like, it's a second job just mm -hmm. to, to manage that in some ways and, and to get sent to the right professional for it too. I love how your, I think your, is your tagline, your handle is REM runner. Yeah. <laughs> I love that REM runner, which makes so much sense. I love that. I would think that too. I'm great at sleeping. I'm getting enough, but it's the, the proper type too. So misdiagnosis sounds like one of the, the, the biggest things. What would you, what would you say for people that are, are like that? And even I, I like that Layla said that in her interview with you that, um, you know, she thought she, uh, that that was just the normal, right. Like being tired is, is the normal. So right. give me some, some tips for folks too, that are listening one, if they think they might have it. And then two, how to support someone with, with narcolepsy because being misunderstood is so tough. Yeah. Um, I, we just have normalized the culture of grind, 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 go, go, go and be tired. So that's sort of the problem is actually, I don't know that people with a, with a real neurological condition almost stand out in a culture of people that are overly sleepy. Um, when I went back to my college professor, cause I'd heard from a friend who was in college with me that I had fallen asleep in front of my professor every day. That's, that was his impression. That wasn't mine um, of, hmm. of, of the classes that we were in, but um I went back and I asked that professor because it had been my advisor and I knew her really well. And she said that she never noticed anything. And then she's like, if you had been sleeping, a lot of the students were sleeping through class. So 
so if we create this culture where everyone's sleepy and uh, it, being tired is like almost like a badge of honor because you've worked so hard and we're all trying to get so much in, it can be hard to, to figure it out. I guess my, if there's any inclination in you that, that your sleepiness um, or your tiredness is, is consistent over time, it's not just because you just had one night of bad sleep, but if you're consistently like having trouble driving or you just somehow have to rely on a nap during the day, a lot of I've seen some people seem to have incorporated napping into their life, um, which I think is, you know, a good thing. But um, it could be also that you're compensating for a sleep condition. And it's just worth exploring. I, I think just to like the way I would approach it now is to think what would be wrong with learning more about my sleep, you know, going to a sleep specialist and just finding out more. Um, and if it is a condition, there is real treatment. And I think that's important to know is that there can be things done to improve it. Um, so it's worth finding yeah. that. Um, Ooh, I, I love that. That could be incorporated into a new set of, of self-care, which I've been doing a lot. I've done a couple of podcasts on it. I've been doing a lot of medical checkups and things like that. So this super unsexy self-care, right? And that can be a piece of it too. You're right. If not, if you're incorporating naps, maybe what is that making up for as well? So asking the questions, I think part of self-care too can be paying attention to patterns more than anything. Totally. That makes a ton of sense. So I'm sure you we were saying, I was saying it before, feeling misunderstood. So with your diagnosis, tell me about your journey to starting um, Project Sleep to make up for no yeah. kind of community whatsoever. I mean, yes, you yeah. have the medical community, the doctors you could go to, but what right. about the conversations amongst people again, because it is not really obvious. Yeah. And I think that's part of my advice for people that if they are diagnosed is to find that community because it's actually out there now. Um, it wasn't always as yeah. strong of a community, but it's really exciting now that there are um, different ways to engage and um, become empowered and um, find, you know, fellow people with narcolepsy around the world. So, um, you know, my own journey to founding Project Sleep was just being part of, I, I, I was part of the sleep world for about five years, volunteering for different organizations, seeing what was out there, studying what was sort of missing in our world um, of sleep and really felt passionate about the fact that not only did people think narcolepsy was a joke, but we didn't really take sleep all that seriously. Um, and there are, there's like a, a great research, but the, like the one kind of easy book to read now is why we sleep by Matthew Walker if you read that, you realize like, oh my God, there's so much great research about how important sleep is. Um, and, um, and so, but this knowledge has not reached like the public um, because, well, I don't know if that's true that then you would assume that people would change their behavior just based on that knowledge. That's probably a false assumption, but um, it, it's still, I think we have a long way to go to um, honor sleep as a society, I guess. Um, mm. And so um, just really wanted to make sleep cool. <laughs> That's our um, <laughs> vision or our hope. And um, so, yeah, we do advocacy and awareness. So um, we advocate in Washington, DC for um, the federal funding of sleep research, making sure that people have access to, um, you know, healthcare and um, coverage appropriately for people with sleep disorders. and um, advocating for the federal funding of, of sleep awareness and education, which is work that the CDC should do, um, yeah. currently does not. 
really do. So um, I hope that, you know, in a few years that we can really make change in that area. Um, so I love the advocacy. That's kind of, I guess, sort of that lawyer background in me still mm-hmm. really likes kind of some of that effort. And then we train storytellers. I, I believe in sharing your story is, is really empowering both the storyteller, but also helps educate um, people. So we have over a hundred people with different sleep disorders, mostly narcolepsy, but we're expanding to other sleep disorders as well um, on how to share their story to med students, high school students, like any podcast, anything. So really excited about that. Um, we have a scholarship for students with narcolepsy and idiopathic hypersomnia um, and a sleep in event every March sleeping in. Um, it's kind of like that, you know, if you can sleep in instead of having to go out and do something to raise awareness and funds. So yes, (laughs) I love that. And I, I just got such a smile, like make sleep cool again and, and make it precious. And I, and I, I would say that our, as much, even with the pandemic, as people were forced to slow down, there still is that hyper, hyper go, go, go dude, bro society of get shit done all the time. And it's uh, just does not lend itself because there, there is a, um, some of a, what's the word I'm thinking of like this, a stigma as well of like, you're right. Of like, Oh my gosh, you're tired because you did so much. (laughs) It's really damaging. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it truly is. is. It is. And I think more people are calling people out about it, which Mm -hmm. is interesting. And I have to even watch myself, you know, I think it's just still our, so our nature that I want to start bragging about how much I do. Um, mm-hmm. And social media is weird too, because you highlight what you want. Um, and so I often don't highlight when I've just hit a wall and end up sleeping for 14 or 16 hours, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if I'm out there saying, oh, I did all these other things on other days, people get the wrong impression, you know? Um, True. So it's it's interesting. I think it's, I'm, I'm glad though, that more people are calling other people out on social media there's this tweet from the rock, I guess, where he'd said something about how they'd worked a 14 hour day and everyone worked so hard and work, work, work on Mm -hmm. the movie. And then someone else was calling them out about it. Like, do you think this is healthy? (laughs) Good. See, and I appreciate that too, not being mean. And just to clarify too, I said the, the dude bro culture and the opposite or the other side of that is the girl boss culture. That's yeah. like, girl, get it done. <laughs> and even my age, we were raised like the Anjali commercials. <laughs> I'm old enough to remember that. They're like, I can bring home the bacon, fry it up in the pan, like all this bullshit stuff of like get stuff done and then not require sleep. So I appreciate that too. And I know you have brought in some bigger names too. I think you have the NFL player, Josh Andrews, that's um, been sort of testifying. Is he one of your storytellers then too? He hasn't done our official storytelling training, but mm-hmm. he, um, I went to Atlanta. He's playing for the Atlanta Falcons. So I was able to go to Atlanta this summer to record video, which is very similar of him sharing his story. Mm-hmm. Um, and we put that into some nice videos to prepare for World Narcolepsy Day. So yeah, that's, that's really cool. And always uh, looking for people that, you know, we're just so lucky to have Josh, uh, who has this platform as an NFL player, and he doesn't have to speak up and talk about narcolepsy. Um, you know, he has enough going on with his own career and and making sure that he's on the team and, you know, all yeah. that, but he, he wanted to do this and sees the value in him raising his voice for others. And I'm just so glad, um, because okay. we, just, we really do more, pe- need more people like that, that are willing to go against that 
that stigma um, that is very strong, I think, still in our culture against narcolepsy. No kidding, especially with professional athletes. And speaking of which, I think you mentioned that Isaiah Thomas, who's a basketball player now, his daughter mm-hmm. has narcolepsy. And so he's using his platform for a loved one. Yes. Fabulous yes. I well. know. And like the whole dad daughter thing just like tugs at my heart, mm-hmm. um, how he's so proud of her and um, supporting this effort is just so beautiful. So yeah, really, really grateful to the Thomas family as well. If you put, if you put the names to it again with, Oh, what a great way to use your platform too of anything that's personal. So you started world narcolepsy day because there wasn't one, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> you I just, just hit your third year. I, um, had, I had, you know, so I published a book about my story back in 2012 before I even founded project sleep. And it's interesting how the book, and then I did a, an awareness campaign called narcolepsy, not alone between those two things of people sending in photos, you know, holding the sign that said narcolepsy not alone between the book and that campaign, I was just hearing from people all over the world um, and started to get invited to speak in different countries um, in mm-hmm. Italy and Ireland, uh, Sweden, Australia. So I started to have connections with different community leaders around the world um, and saw that we could kind of leverage this into some sort of a coalition effort of um, focusing narcolepsy awareness around one day of the year, um, which we've kind of, you know, we end up taking over September (laughs) a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, We did a lot of awareness leading up to it, but um, using it to make sure we can get the media attention, um, which is challenging. Um, For some reason, it still seems like people, some people still think of narcolepsy like, oh, that's just some unicorn thing that doesn't really happen. It's not really all that important. It, Actually, narcolepsy impacts one in every 2,000 people or 3 million worldwide. So it's not really all that rare. And um, I think it's it should be something people talk more about um, and should be of interest, too, because it's not the same thing that people are always talking about, it seems. So um, anyway, we'll just we'll just keep every year trying to get more media attention and um, in bringing in more people. Um, who have had narcolepsy diagnosed, but weren't yet part of the community. I think that's really exciting to see more people gravitating to the community. Yes, because they're being diagnosed and coming out of that mystery, that shrouded mystery of something's going on with me. Great facts about that too, that it's not as much of an anomaly. And I'm going to post a link to it too. I found somebody, I think that you had actually tweeted out on Instagram that did a whole stories of all the myths and I cut and paste that too. I'll put that in the blog post with a link to her as well, because it's the myths and then the facts that go with it. And, and back on that piece too, with the awareness of having the research to it, because you can talk all you want about it, right? But then actually having somebody saying, okay, this is important to research and find out what we can do for that with being neurological. Tell me real quick for you personally, what kind of treatment that you have for what's going yeah. on with you? Yeah. So I take medication twice a night. And then once a day, um, the nighttime medication helps my sleep supposedly like that. Otherwise I go into too much REM sleep. Um, and so trying to make a more regular sleep cycle and, um, that helps to improve my sleepiness during the day and reduce that cataplexy. So I have a lot less cataplexy, thankfully. Um, and again, the cataplexy is too much emotion and then you uh, regular emotions, little mm-hmm. things that are funny yeah. or annoying or surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, m- my brain misunderstanding those emotions and thinking I'm dreaming and paralyzing me for the dream. Wow. Um, yes. Yes. 
So that would, yeah. And it could be slight. It could be just like my head bobbing. It could be my knees buckling or it could be completely falling to the ground. So, um, yeah, so that's a lot better. I still experience that and I still experience sleepiness every day. Um, but not to the same extent at all, um, thankfully. And then, um, I do take a stimulant during the day. So, okay. Just a Thank small you. amount, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for sharing that with me because even understanding what your personal experience is, is I think helps people to, to also say, okay, it's not just, again, this pie in the sky thing that people just talk about in movies, but it's how it, it physically affects you too. Yeah. So I appreciate and that. I talk about social support as part of treatment. So, um, making sure that we're trying to get doctors to prescribe social support the way they would prescribe a medication. I think in our culture, it's just like, okay, here's a script and leave. And they're sending people alone with a new diagnosis, a new part of their identity. Mm -hmm. Um, and not knowing what this new word narcolepsy is going to mean in their lives or any other condition, chronic condition. Um, and they're sending them off alone. And the weird thing is they're not actually alone. They're part of like a huge sea of people that are dealing with the same thing. And some people do end up, you know, being intuitive and like looking for the hashtag narcolepsy on Instagram or something and finding community. Other people go years without it, um, right. without social support, knowing that there are other people out there. So that's a big thing for me is, is trying to get doctors to be prescribing social support, um, letting people know right away, here's your diagnosis. And just so you know, there are organizations, Project Sleep, there are other organizations, Wake Up Narcolepsy, Narcolepsy Network, Hypersomnia Foundation, others around the world. So there's, I'm trying to get people to think of that because I think the social aspects of living with narcolepsy, uh, dealing with the stigma and all that is just as important as dealing with the medical side. I was going to say, I, I would think part of your diagnosis and your lifestyle then is to also tell people around you, this is what's going on with me, that social piece of preparing them and helping them understand too, if you're going to be out at a networking event, going to something with your family, that had to be a big piece for you too, to, to let people know this is what it looks like. Yeah, it was, it was weird because I guess I was still figuring it out for myself and I didn't really, besides sending people the list of deaf, you know, symptoms and, mm -hmm. um, it, I didn't really know how to talk about it or I didn't even know how to explain how it was impacting me, which wasn't always so black and white as if I go to this networking event, I might experience cataplexy. It wasn't so much like that. It would be like, well, if I go to this networking event, I might not have the energy tomorrow to do something else. You know, mm. um, there's a lot of other ways or, or not feeling well from side effects of a treatment um, and how that ends up impacting your day. So um, I didn't know really how to talk about it with my friends and family at first and mm. felt really easily frustrated uh, trying to get them to get it. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, the big thing for my dad was actually going to a conference where he could meet other people with narcolepsy and other loved ones. And for some reason that did it, you know, that, that really helped him get it, um, right. was not seeing my own experience, but seeing other people's and then realizing this was quite a serious condition and, and how he really stepped up, like supporting, um, me and getting involved and, and trying to help. So. Thank you for sharing that too, because if anybody's listening and they're wondering, like, they're just ready to drop kick some of their relatives for not getting it, that has to be so frustrating. Like, I'm telling you, this is it. So thank you for reminding people or telling us that and then letting us know there are other organizations to go to. So I'm assuming Project Sleep has got to be so great for that of having, do you have a Facebook group or somewhere where people have a safe space to go to and discuss then? 
we actually don't really do social support as much as I'm a huge uh, proponent for it mm-hmm. or I mean, advocate for it. We're currently not, we don't have a formal social support program. Um, I hope to <laughs> have one. Okay. In the future. You're um, doing a ton mostly, already. Mostly our community is just on Instagram and we're connecting people and they're finding each other and, um, you know, kind of just commenting back and forth on each other's posts just because we like Instagram, I think probably um, more than Facebook, but uh, there are different Facebook groups and then Wake Up Narcolepsy and Narcolepsy Network both do online support groups. So that's already available. So um, we don't need to recreate the wheel for um, ourselves, but um, yeah, when people are part of our speaking training program or our scholarship program, then they're also connected to each other. Oh, that's so smart. And you're right. Why recreate the wheel? There's another group that's doing that. A lot of organizations, they get so excited and think they have to do the full soup yeah. to nuts, but you can collaborate with other groups yeah. as well too. All right. Well, yeah. tell me what's coming up for Project Sleep and then we're going to get out of here. Yeah. So we have the Sleep Advocacy Forum. Really excited. Last year we started this as like a one day dedicated to sleep advocacy um, and it's supposed to be in Washington, D.C. in person, but it's virtual again this year. Um, so I'm just finishing inviting the speakers for that like half day event that's going to be October 18th. Um, and then, um, yeah, I don't really know. There's not too much else. I have some different speaking engagements myself that I'm that are on top of mind right now. Um, but the year should be calming down, which would be nice because it's been yeah, it, it's, it's busy almost every um, portion of the year. And then towards the end, hopefully it won't be as busy. So um, not too much besides the um, the once we finish the advocacy forum, I think the next really big public thing will be the sleep in next March, which is really fun um, event for anyone that is a sleep advocate to um, spend the weekend sleeping in. We have online like, you know, broadcasts and different things and hang out in our PJs and Make signs mm, about like trying to make peace with sleep and all that fun stuff. So oh, I love nice it. Public thing. Yeah. Good sleep in. All right. We're going to have all of the links in the show notes. So any, anything you need to reach out and all of the, the different links that you mentioned as well. And then also your book is wide awake and dreaming. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Right, I'm going to put a link in that too. All right. One more question. Then we're out of here. I'm going to force you to swear. What's your favorite swear word or swear phrase? Oh man. <laughs> Um, well, I was just telling you before the show, I just spent time with a nine-year-old, my friend's daughter. And I was, I just forgot, you know, you forget when you're around kids, uh, I got going and I would have to go with fucking, I mean, fucking this, fucking that. I don't know. Oh, just like yeah. everything is fucking terrible. I don't know. Something like that. Just probably, <laughs> you know what? I love yeah. that because a lot of people just say the word fuck, but you're right. When you actually add that as the, it's the qualifier or the adjective, whatever it is. Yeah. Oh, that's fucking right see how good that sounds i think there's a catharsis in that too so thank you for sharing that with me i appreciate you i hope i don't have to put like any dimes into the swear jar or something (laughs) no because mine would be one of those like giant buckets so donating that thank you for sharing all your information with us i really appreciate you thank you for listening and thank you for your interest in this topic i appreciate it so much that we don't talk about folks (laughs) thank you Wow, so much great information. Hey, make sure to follow Julie at Project Sleep, and you can also check out her book, Wide Awake and Dreaming, A Memoir of Narcolepsy. If you like this episode, please do all the things. Share it with your friends, subscribe, and leave me a review, especially if it's a good one. 
If you really like the podcast and you want to show it, head on over to shitwedonttalkaboutpodcast.com, click on the Patrons button, and become a full-time supporter of the podcast. And if you want your very own podcast, but you don't know where to start, go to helix-interactive.com and get yourself some. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Bye.